At approximately 5.15 p.m. on May 10th in 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 explore a cave near their house in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. Brothers Billy Hogue, Joel Hogue, and friend Craig Dow are never seen again. Making the case go cold for over 50 years. Using the facts from 1967, we reopen the case for the lost boys of Hannibal. Now the starlight which has found me lost for a million years Tries to linger as it fills my eyes till it disappears Could it be that somebody else is looking into my mind Some other place, somewhere, some other time Some other place, somewhere, some other time Welcome to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. I'm your host, Frankie Cambaletta, and with me from very far away... Chris Ketters. Yeah, a little too far away. A little farther away than normal. As uh, I'm in Louisiana and Frankie is in St. Louis. And that's Louisiana, Missouri. Not to be confused yes. with Louisiana, the state. <laughs> <laughs> Which a lot of people do. I, I just tell them, where, I live where Momo lives. And then they're like, oh, okay. I know Momo. Yeah. Good old Momo. Yeah. Yeah. Is he still in your charts, Momo? <laughs> yeah it's uh you, there's a good video a documentary that just came out uh, momo the missouri monster have you seen that one yet no can't wait to yeah it's pretty interesting so you have to check it out but uh yeah welcome back everybody and again we're doing this because obviously things in this world in the country have gotten a little crazy in the last uh, couple of weeks and um, we didn't want to get each other sick if we had something and I really didn't want to go into the epicenter of St. Louis. <laughs> That's correct. I'll stay in Pike County, Missouri yeah. where there's there's, you know, three confirmed cases right now, which is good. Yeah. A lot lot less than we have. I think the state of Missouri overall has like 2200 cases, which is which is not bad, but St. Louis has been an, an amazing city to be in. We've we've really flattened our curve a lot. We're staying home. We're we're doing right by what the government's telling us and what the state's doing us. So we're we're doing the best we can from all accounts. You know, we go out to go get groceries and necessities, but that is it. I have not left my house for a while. So um, hoping this blows over soon, so we can get back into um, you know doing the things we love, doing the things we love, and. And, and we can't find these boys if we can't leave our house there, Chris. <laughs> That's right. Well, and not only is it a problem with not being able to get out there and search, but, you know, this whole season, and we talked about at the end of last season, our whole goal for this season was we're going to get out there. We're going to get interviewing people and meeting with people and, that's becoming a little bit of a problem now since uh, with all this going on. So, you know, we've we've had some some people that we've talked to and we've had some stuff lined up. And now we're just like, well, we don't really want to do an in-person interview with you right now. Because obviously people that were dealing with the case in 1967, at minimum, they're 50 years old. So, and that puts them at, they were born the year that the boys went lost. So um, we want to obviously uh, keep that in mind as we're going through. But we're, we're trying to adapt, as you can see, even with this. Uh, usually we always do all of our podcasts together, either in Hannibal or in St. Louis. We're always somewhere together doing them. So uh, we'll try and make this best we can. If you see us 
hiccup and jump on top of each other accidentally. We're sorry about that. We're still looking at each other. I can see Frankie with this Dade County t-shirt on right now. So we're trying to That's get right. those cues from each other uh, as, as we go along. But if we we stumble upon each other, we uh, we apologize, apologize for that. But, it's, you know, we're trying to still keep things going. And there's still a lot to investigate as we go along with the boys uh, from Hannibal. Yeah, and, and to pick up from last week, I think that we showed um, there was a lot of interest in the show. The show's almost had 1,000 downloads of the first episode, so we were pretty pleased with that, uh, pretty happy with that outcome. And it seems like there's been a lot of, uh, you know, there's been some chatter in, in the room, but we also understand that you guys are trying to keep your family safe, and if you guys are first responders, nurses, police officers, doctors, man, thank you so much for being heroic and being out there fighting this cause for us. We just wanted to give you guys a special notice that um we appreciate all you do for the people of of our state and for the people of our our cities and our counties and so i think that you know sometimes that gets lost with you know you know the hubbub on on the media and news and stuff like that so uh we just wanted to you know celebrate you guys as well and I'll let you know that we're thinking about you and that we hope you're keeping safe as well, which we probably know you are. Um, uh, with that, I want to go through this poll here there, Chris. It looks like... Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm trying to kill John Wayne Gacy all over again, and people still <laughs> just want to pull Frankie back in. And I think Chris had a question for me last week as we... Well, two weeks ago, as we ended, when we were still together here, we were supposed to be here for the premiere, and that got canceled. So Chris wanted to know where I was with John Wayne Gacy. Well, I think John Wayne Gacy is somebody that we're going to keep in the mix at a very low percentile, just because what we're talking about today involves three more cases in the area, in the surrounding area. Okay, two happened, uh, one happened in 1968, and the other one happened in 1969. And then the one Chris will be covering happened all the way in 1978. 1977. No, the year I was born. Yes. So 1977. So, My bad. I yeah. almost had that. But that's all you right. Were that's you were close. You were close. Yeah, this is not going to be our, uh, our cleanest show, but it'll be a fun <laughs> show, we guarantee you. We're going to give you some more intrigue, give you guys some new things to think about from around town. Uh, so we did do a poll on our Facebook and it looks like it came out re resoundingly well for people that wanted us to move on. Um, the upper majority, of course, 23 people uh, voted for this one to move on. And four of our people said, keep him in the mix. Somebody added it, uh, Brandy Cole added maybe, maybe <laughs> <laughs> I keep the poll open. So we have those little, uh, bright spots there. Brandy's like, well, wait a minute. I don't want to answer to you. I want to um, stay on the line. I'm just going to put it, put myself on the fence. Just, right. just go. I like that. <laughs> I appreciate you, Brandy. I appreciate you keeping us honest here. Um, that's our time but, for a shameless yeah. plug, actually, uh, Frankie, because if you didn't get a chance and you haven't been on our discussion group yet and take part in those polls, that's your chance to do so. There's uh, 200 and I just looked 240 people in our in our discussion group, which if you talk about like seven months ago, I think we had two and me and you. <laughs> So we're up yeah. to 240 now, which is great. So, uh, and, it, and it, you know, we've had some emails come in too, by the way. I've uh, had a few emails come in just with different questions. A lot of people don't have Facebook. So um, I think you can go to our website. Is that right? You can go to our website and get our email address. 
You can go right to our website, info at lostboysahannibal.com. We own the URL. We, uh, we basically saw that one f- available, and we, uh, we grabbed it. <laughs> we don't know why it was available, but we, we took it, and um, we have our website up. And, yes, we've, we've been dealing with uh, some nice uh, emails from uh, Mrs. Mr. Wingate's people, but um, my lawyer has shut them all down. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't own a URL. You can't, you can basically, the only thing you can't do, and just for your own edification out there, you can't own somebody else's name. That's really the only thing on URLs. You can't I, own I, like who we're going to talk about today. Um, like John Wagner, unless you're the Wagner family and you're doing something for the cause. Um, other than that, I, I think that, yeah, when you're, when you're on there, we had a, Beautiful email come in from the Neff family. If, if you guys remember, uh, we talked about um, this, the, the the captain at the time or the chief of police at the time in Hannibal was very concerned about the three boys of Hannibal. And they were looking to explore the idea that maybe John Wayne Gacy had something to do that. Well, the Neff family actually was listening on in. They have written us an email, and it looks like that might be one of our future shows but once again, like Chris said, we want to make sure that everybody is safe, especially in those that that age that 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 age group right there is a dangerous age group, and and so far I I feel fine. But you know the asymptomatic thing about COVID, you just don't know. So we're going to be as safe as we can, and if we have to, we might just do an interview with Skype and try to get this. But yeah, they reached out to us, and Neff family reached out to us, and um, we just lost uh, Chief Neff not too long ago either. Um, basically last season he was um, still around and the son-in-law was actually able to talk to him about some stuff and so they have some information and his daughter is still very much around and so we'd love to pick their brain and see what their father actually felt about the case Uh, maybe he did think this was now one of the first questions actually Chris that did come in from Rachel McHatton um, if you go right into our group she says I still I still say this is a criminal case but I think you guys did a great job of ruling him out. And I guess we're going to put up another poll. Um, and it's going to be oh, okay. an easy one, too. Uh, how many people think this is a criminal case versus a lost in the caves case? What a great question. Uh, that With something we've never really posed to the people uh, of that. And that would be really interesting. Because, you know, even in, in talking to different people, there's a couple names that pop into my head that, like, they flat out are adamant that it is not criminal and that they are lost in the caves. And, and that's all it is. And that's simply all it is. And then there's people that are like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So that is a great question to post. And so, yeah, be looking for that in our discussion group coming up um, real soon. Uh, that's a good question, Frankie. Yeah, and then for Mrs. Cole, I'll leave it open so she can add an option. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, um, real quick, for Frankie, there's just a couple things I want to throw out real quick uh, before we get, get deep into this episode. Uh, the first one is, uh, we ask this every time, but we ask for it again. If you get a chance, go to iTunes or wherever you listen to your, your this podcast and, and write a review. We've gotten awesome reviews. We've, we've kind of slowed down a little bit the last couple months on them, uh, but we're trying to uh, get that revved up and going again. So if you haven't done that yet, do that for your forest. Head there to iTunes, and it helps get the word out about uh, this show and, and this podcast. So that's one thing. The other thing I want to throw out, which is um, – Something that's just recently developed, Frankie, is that we are um, done some talking with our detective, who's a who's part of our our inside core group that we we work with to to throw questions and throw stuff off of to get get feedback on. Um, it was decided that you know way back we did our first episode in July. Is that right, Frankie? 
We did it in July yeah. of last year. And that same time we did our first episode was the exact same time we went and got our freedom of information request from the Hannibal Police Department and filled that out and submitted it. Um, so with that in mind, uh, after talking with our police officer friend, it was determined that I probably did not fill the form out correctly. Um and the reason, let me step back for just a minute. We did get the Karis report, um, which obviously we've talked about in multiple episodes. Uh, but we feel like there should be more. And I throw back to last week's episode, or last episode's uh, for this uh, season two, the first episode, I should say, is that, you know, uh, Chief Neff went and asked the FBI about Gacy. And you'd almost assume that if that, fi- if that was put done by the police chief, there would have to be some sort of corresponding file to go with that at the Hannibal Police Department. So after talking with, again, our officer friend, it was decided that we're probably going to go ahead and do another information request act uh, just to see if, um, if I missed anything. Because come to find out, with those information uh, requests, you have to be very specific. If you're not specific and say, I want X, Y, Z, and A, B, and C as well, they're not going to give it to you. So we're going to be a lot more specific in our next Freedom of Information request from uh, the Hannibal Police Department to see if they can dig into the files. Now, another comment that was made by our officer friend was that if they're like most police departments, like his and uh, mine here in town, I asked our police chief not too long ago about this too, uh, and I said, hey, what about a case in 1960-something? And she's like... You know, we're small. It's hard to find those things going back that far. It's not all on a computer. So it takes them a little bit of digging to go in there and get them. So uh, hopefully if we ask the right questions uh, in our request that uh, maybe we'll make some progress and maybe we're missing something. I still hold true from what we said in episode three, I think, of last season that this has never been an open case. It's never been an active case by the Hannibal Police Department. I still hold true that uh, just because of what we know right now, but I still think there's more in the files at Hannibal Police Department. So that's where we're at with that, Frankie. Well, and that's a that's a deep dive too, and 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 thank to all our people that are our research team that's helping us out. I know Jackie's on the case with a couple of things that we had requested from him uh, this week coming up. So we are guys, we are planning to really charge forward as soon as you know the world kind of gets back on its feet here in in this missing person stuff and if not we have plenty of topics that we're going to spiral into about the boys and the resounding factors of the boys but uh feel free to look around at all the the group members that we have we have 240 group members now see if you know any of those people um reach out to them and start you know creating maybe your own little group of 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 investigators and and things that what you think i mean spiral ideas really help it like i always said on this show you know, the public solves crime. So if this is a criminal case, we need to solve this and we need to figure it out. And they really can't do anything without a body anyway. So you can have a hundred suspects. If you don't have a body, you're not putting anybody away. It, it never really happens. And just for everybody's edification too, when we talk about this and Chris, I, I'd done a lot of TV when I was promoting the Lemp film and people always asked me, you know, what kind of evidence? Well, all your evidence is circumstantial. DNA is circumstantial evidence. Everything is circumstantial evidence. The only thing that's not circumstantial evidence is eyewitness testimony. And that's a fact. So this is something that the audience really needs to... We have eyewitness testimony that these boys were on top of Lover's Leap at 515. That's the last place they were seen. And the fact that that wasn't investigated, 
the fact that that wasn't really thought through and that we kind of had the circus with Karis going on for a month and nobody really followed the lead. I do still believe that the chief at the time had a gut instinct to go looking for them. And I still want to know what they found in those fresh footprints, those fresh handprints on in, in that cabin. Like whatever happened, where is that? That had to have been written somewhere. And so hopefully, Chris, these this information that you're 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 going down this rabbit hole that you're going down, <laughs> um, hopefully will really solve uh, some of those questions that are still in our mind. And you know, feel free to, to look that stuff up, guys. I mean, you know, I I study this stuff. I look at this stuff. I watch thousands of documentaries on it just because I want to make sure we have our ducks in a row. Um, I'm sure everybody's seen Tiger King. I mean, you see all these shows that are out there and it's, you know, we want to do a documentary for this family that we believe is going to be not only epic, but our entire founding grace here is to find closure um, and find some new evidence, you know, find some new evidence in the thesis that we're building, right? Create something new in an old environment and try to help people, you know, guide them into, into that light. And so with that said, Chris, in 1967, one year passes, the boys are missing. There's no answers. We moved to 1968. And we moved down the highway, down highway 36. We moved down the highway in 1968. And and this is kind of where things get a little uh, interesting, right? So the highway we're talking about is Highway 36. And this would be the same highway that the boys would have taken had they had gone to the church social that night um, that ended up in Shelbina. You actually go right through Monroe City on 36. And Monroe City would be epic for still having two open missing persons cases, which I just find, I find it astonishing because Monroe City is a small town. This is not like New York City. And for them to have two missing people, Chris, is just beyond bizarre for me. Yeah, I I had to look it up real quick. Uh, Current population Monroe City is 2,504 people, according to a 2011 census. So you're looking at 2,500 people. Um, Again, let's go to the example. The town I'm in right now, Louisiana, Missouri, there is no known cases of missing persons ever in the history of this town. Knock on wood, (laughs) but there's no known cases. And then you have two in, in a town that's smaller than my town? In a span of, what, 10, 12 years? Yeah. <laughs> Not even nine years, right? Nine years, you have two missing persons? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so we'll start with the first one. And once again, I don't know if you guys know about the, the rule of threes with serial killer names like John Wayne Gacy and stuff like that. Well, the kid that goes missing here um, it, it is um, John Wade Wagner. So JWW, right, is allegedly... Well, he is uh, abducted or something horrible happens. And I'm going to kind of read through basically the the synopsis of it. Um, On February 17th in 1968 is when he was reported missing. And um, he was 16 years old. He drove his younger brother to a dance in Monroe City, Missouri. And he has not been seen or heard from since. Uh, It is a... Crazy tale, Chris, to say the least. In 2010, our favorite station down there, KHQA, uh, we're also, you know, since we're on the topic, we wanted to give a heartwarm um, 
wishes to uh, to Chad. Chad has yeah. uh, left KHQA, um, and that's going to be hard for us because uh, he was um, a guy that really instigated getting involved in the missing boys and has really helped us a lot along the way, and we just want to wish him well and his family well. I do believe he's staying local, which is awesome. So maybe, Chris, maybe we have a seat on the team for us. Well, I was just getting ready to say, just because um, Chad's leaving KHQA doesn't necessarily mean that you will never hear his name on this podcast again. <laughs> like exactly. I said, there, there, there's thought processes going on already of like, oh, Chad, so you're no longer with the TV station, huh? Well, you're interested in the case still, I bet. <laughs> exactly i know that once this is gonna get this is gonna get released and i'm gonna get a text message from chad probably you know in the afternoon on monday so (laughs) it's gonna be great Uh, yeah see see where he's at right yeah i love to help you guys um so uh we wish him well and all the people on channel seven we know that's a loss to you guys and i'm sure you guys will will bounce back and have a good fun memory of all the work he'd done for the last, what, 20 years, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, incredible reporter, incredible person. And so, so glad we had him on the show and, and hopefully in the future, um, you know, we'll have him, uh, be one of our guests, be the, be that third Mike that's waiting for John Wingate. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get him on the show, there. Chris. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, <laughs> So Thursday, so let's go back to uh, John Wade um, Wagner here. Um, In 2010, his father was still alive. His brother, I believe, had passed, and his mother had passed, and his sister was still alive um, in 2010. So we're going back 10 years. So now it's 52 years uh, since John has been missing. Uh, John John Wagner's body was never found. And basically his family, like any family, wants closure in this whole thing. Um, We know that he did take his younger brother to uh, the dance, and that was February 17th, 1968. So he goes missing in February 17th of 1968. This is roughly around the same time, Chris, uh, that John Wayne Gacy is getting indicted. Mm. From our last episode, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And at this point... um, you know, to your knowledge, he's still living. To our knowledge, he's still living in, in Waterloo, and, and there is no, you know, connection there. But I do wonder, I do wonder if, and I, and I do want to research this too, if, if these police departments ever looked for it. When you look at John Wagner, uh, this 16-year-old boy, uh, great-looking kid, had his whole future ahead of him. Um, the He looks like one of the John Wayne Gacy victims. I think when you look at these kids and you start looking at all the profiling of, you know, and we'll just put this out there, a type, right? A type of person that serial killers look for. We'll put that out there. And I think that when you look at it from, you know, that, you know, armchair sleuth, you know, you start putting the pieces together and you start to find those patterns in your head. Um, Well, he drops his brother off as the story goes, but John never returned home. The next day, the family found John's truck in Monroe City. His keys, gloves, and coat were inside. Now, you have to understand, it's February 17th. Mm-hmm. That's If you're in Missouri and it's February 17th, at night, yeah. it's cold. 
Yeah, I was so just this say is that. There's, we have I I just saw we had some people from Australia and people from you know Europe that will listen to the podcast. It's you know to put it into our terms. I mean, February nights can get down to zero minus five in Missouri. I mean, it could be extremely cold in those time frames. Yeah. Yes, it's a you know, especially there at this point too. It was a lot colder, you know, in, in areas that are not you know so you know, built around or built up, right? Cities and, and bus stations and, and buildings. And this is kind of the open country here. So you're getting crosswinds. It's cold out. Um, so her, his sister, who is um, Peggy Porter, reported that it's the only time that she had seen her father cry. And her, her father's name was Luther Wagner. And um Peggy Porter went on to say in, in 2010 in this article by Mr. Maples over at um, Raja Maples over at KHQA, which is just a great reporting on this. It gave us kind of some insight into the family. In his article he put out in 2010, um, Peggy Porter, so John's sister, went out to say, the story is, as everybody knows, is that John and another guy got into an altercation and possibly John fell back and hit his head and was killed. At that time, these persons of interest didn't know what to do. I think the altercation was probably over a girlfriend being interested in John. I mean, if they would just come forward and tell us what would had happened and why it happened. And, you know, through this whole thing, as I'm reading this case, uh, Chris, I'm, I'm just thinking of these young kids that, you know, they're, they're all good looking, all, all these guys, you know, and, you know, they're, they're in a small town. And small towns use, you know, they they yield small relationships and relationship circles, friends. And an altercation like that has happened many a times where something, you know, you tripped on something, the person hit their head, and before you know it, I mean, it doesn't take that much. You know, you get hit in the right place in the head, the temple, the back of the head. And now all of a sudden, you know, what, what meant to be like some kind of alpha move or some toxic move from a guy to another guy becomes a murder. It's manslaughter mm-hmm. at that point. And, you know, at it, it, it most, the person probably would have served anywhere from seven to ten years, probably would have been out in three. It was not intended. It was not slated. It's just a manslaughter charge. Um, but you get scared and you get restless. And so some of the stories are just horrific. But I think that the key highlight about the Wagner family that I found not only touching but also incredible is that they don't want to prosecute. Yeah. They don't want to put these people away. They, they just want to know what happened. They, they've even told the police if they just come forward, we're not going to press any charges. Now, that does not override the law of murder, of a missing person. If they cannot present a body and somebody admits to it, what happens at that point is it's the law of the land. And there is no statutory limitations on murder. So they're still going to get a manslaughter charge. You might be able to get um, uh, leniency if you have the family of the victim and tell the actual story. And so if you are out there and if you perused our our podcast and you're out there and you're thinking about it, now's the time. What time, this is probably the best time in America to come forward with something like this. With everything that we're dealing with right now as a society, there've been so many people that have reconciled old relationships and bad relationships. And so this is kind of like a, you know, a cry for help, Chris. And I know it's kind of a long shot, but why not? Just why not let these people know that, hey, you have a family there that is, that is lost, that, that is, and if you have the answers to this, you should at least give it up or write a letter right now. And when you die, that letter is to be given to somebody if you want to go out that way. But at least let somebody know 
because from where we sit from the true crime standpoint and all the shows out there from the true crime standpoint where we where we sit it's it's hard to do these shows because i do think about the parents i am a parent and i I can't fathom what it means to lose somebody like that. So if you're out there and you had something to do this or you know something, man, now's the time. Now's the time to write that letter. There's a hundred ways you can do it online. And there's a hundred ways you can do it in person where you'll never be traced to. But give these cops give these cops a lead. The case is still open. Um, well, and I want to Luther point out Wagner, real quick yeah, go ahead. here, Frankie. Uh, you know, the article you mentioned, there's one interesting little tidbit, actually two interesting. I came across that same article. There's two interesting things I want to throw out there. Um, one was sure. from one of the officers um, that and it kind of goes off of what you were just talking about. It says uh, in this article, the officer says, we got the most information from the family. We re-interviewed a lot of people. Some people believe uh, were persons, excuse me, let's start over. Some people we believe were persons of interest, refused to speak with us after all these years and refused to cooperate i think that was telling within itself so kind of going to the case is itself you almost sounds like you have you you know if you're going to pinpoint it especially if somebody doesn't want to talk about it then it's starting to get something a little bit serious i mean even in our situation with the lost boys um they may not want to necessarily come on camera or come on the podcast and talk about it but they want they'll talk about it you know they'll open up there's people that were 12 years old that are very closely connected that are willing to open up about it maybe just not one to go as far as going on camera so that was one interesting thing i really found if you want to put this all in a ball that's one of the big pieces of the ball right there the second one and going back to just just hold on just to point that out that that is um that is Sergeant Regina Webb, and she reopened the case 10 years ago. And yes. she's still with the Marion County Sheriff. So she's, she's still there. And, you know, I've, we're, I actually connected with her on LinkedIn. And so hopefully, you know, there's something that can come of that. Maybe she can even speak about it. I don't, I don't know that you know, she'd want to do something like that. But, hey, man, if she's in the CID unit right there and, um, you know, I know she's doing, you know, shit, this is like 10 years later now. So, you know, she's she's doing her damnedest to, to kind of find and solve these cold cases. So, you know, maybe she can give us some insight into the case. And if she wants to, I mean, she doesn't have to. I know open cases are very tough to talk about, but, you know, it could be another cool guest to have on. She's a first responder. You know, once yeah. again, it's something to celebrate. But, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Um, and so the other part kind of goes uh, – the other part of this article goes into – uh, something I found is kind of kind of give me chills just a little bit uh, because it relates back to our relates back to our three lost boys in Hannibal. It was something I believe the sister said. Porter is is the, one of the sisters' last names, correct? Um, she said yeah, Peggy uh, Porter. The following: She felt like uh, talking about with her mom passing. That is, um, she said she felt like when she passed away, she said she would finally know. And that she was going to be with both of my brothers, which that going back to what we talked about last season, that is something that uh, that Helen Hogue talked about uh, to mm-hmm. to one of the so I believe it was Dee Dee uh, to one of them saying, well, she's in she's gonna find out when she goes to heaven and all that stuff. She's gonna they're gonna know what happened. So it's very chilling to have that comparison between the Hogue family and, and the Wagner family. 
Yeah, and I and I actually went a, went a little above and beyond because we've been doing these episodes longer because for some strange reason our audience wants these episodes longer. So <laughs> right. um, usually we'd, we we're ending our our shows at around this time, but we're going to keep going. We have some interesting stuff. Chris, I did a little digging this week on the actual case. I wanted to know what the newspapers were reporting um, on uh, John's disappearance, and so interesting enough, I found two papers. Um, one, of course, was from right there locally in Monroe City. And the other one was from Kansas City. So it did kind of go across the state. Uh, missing boy search spreads. Uh, sheriff's departments in three northeast Missouri counties have joined in a search for a 16-year-old boy missing since February 16th. So I found that very interesting that you had these sheriff's departments kind of coming together. And well, this and is- l- let, me, let me fill you in on why. It's because of the location Monroe City. Monroe City is at the corner of three different counties. So technically, Monroe okay. City County. So there was an issue with um, what county was in charge of their search. So that could have something to do with that, the, the reason why. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um, the sheriff, Dean Mason of Monroe County, said the boy John Wayne Wagner was last seen at an ice cream store in Monroe City. The youngster is the son of Mr. and Mrs. Luther Wagner, who live 12 miles north of Monroe City. We have no reason to suspect that he met with foul play, but there are so many rumors that each one has to be checked out, Mason said. Monroe City is 22 miles west of Hannibal, where three boys disappeared last May 10th, presumably lost in a cave. Authorities said they believe there is no connection with the incident. Two young men were given polygraph tests at Highway Patrol Troop B headquarters in Macon Monday. The results were not announced. Um, can we go back? Interesting that they brought it up. Yeah, can we go back? Yeah. So the, when, when did this article come out? Do you have a date? This was, yeah, it's um, February 20th. So three days after you went missing, right? So yeah. the Monroe County Sheriff did not suspect foul play at that time? That's what I thought was weird too. That's interesting. Like, how do you go missing? You don't. You don't have your truck. You left your keys. To, first of all, you're 16 years old. You have a beautiful truck, or it doesn't even matter if it's beautiful. It's your truck. When I was six, when I got my first car, it was my. I wasn't going anywhere. I'm leaving it anywhere. I'd leave your keys in it. Leave your gloves in it. Leave your. What happened was somebody pulled up, asked him a question, and looks like something like that. That kind of type of altercation. Because why would you, like. What? How is how is this coat and gloves in the car with the keys? Mm-hmm. Like that for me is foul play. Like immediately. Well, even if you, you were know, say, like, say you were getting out to have a discussion with somebody, somebody pulled up next to you, and um, you wanted to jump out and talk to them, you would put your jacket on. You'd put gloves on. I mean, that's weird that he didn't have any of that stuff. Which I mean, almost make the first thing that comes to my mind is he got dragged out of the vehicle <laughs> i mean is that what sure. you think yeah or clubbed over the back of the head when he was walking into the vehicle um they didn't say anything else about the truck i mean was it stalled what is it not working once again if if that happens you're taking your coat your gloves and your keys right. i mean it's just it's nonsensical that's very weird. So it's an interesting article. Um, the other article kind of mirrors it. It does bring up the Lost Boys of Hannibal again. Nothing really new in the second article. Um, uh, he did not suspect foul play. So you have two papers 
basically talking about it. Then he's saying that, you know, the two were not connected. And then when I look at that, I'm like, mm. you know, this is somebody that's two years older than uh, Craig Dow, um, roughly the same build. You know, you start and and they just never find his body either. They never find anything about him. And some of the rumors that surrounded the family were just god awful. Yeah. That he was fed in a hog machine and fed to pigs. It was terrible. And for the father to have to endure that has been crazy. Now, this is why I wanted to mention Sergeant Regina Webb, because this is her good thinking and smart thinking ten years ago to grab DNA samples from both the father and Peggy Porter, his sisters, in the off chance that a body is discovered. So talk about good police work yeah. in 2010. This was a this is a female that female officer that is thinking sheriff, female sheriff, thinking a little before her time because in 2010 DNA was a thing, but today it's it's everything. Today luminol and DNA is everything. But when you when you look at somebody that is a sheriff in a small town, you know, in a small county, mm -hmm. thinking like above you know the standards because every time you see these documentaries on these you know these country cops it's always like okay they messed up the case seems here that she was right on top of it and and she she felt the need especially when you're going to reopen the investigation right that was a very smart move on her half so they do have john wagner's sister and father's dna which is great especially for you know jason moran the stuff that he's doing in cook county if this was and that's really even more of a stretch, right, with John Wayne Gacy? Because once again, Waterloo, there's no, yeah, there's no, he's not in Missouri, you know. That makes it hard. Makes that, but, um, the and I think you're getting to the to the to the bone of the situation here is that to connect Gacy to Wagner is kind of hard, in my opinion, just because of his time frame. Um, but you know, there's still there's still that. S six percent chance about the lost boys and gacy so there's always a chance that that there's a possibility that there is a connection here but um you don't know i mean if you want to put this uh, he's not buried in chicago home we know that i mean if you that's the the, yeah, no. the thing you could throw out the quickest is that he's not in chicago because he didn't even john wayne gacy didn't even live in chicago at that point in time so he's not one of the six remaining boys Agreed. Agreed 100%. But what if there is someone else? Oh, was that was that just a, a segue? <laughs> sorry, I called it out again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go into 1969, Chris. I'm going to go into 1969 right now. Okay. And here's the thing. One year later. Now, I know you've been a little obstinate to... Um, what, 19, let me see, 1969, the 1969 disappearance of the Sterling boy, correct? Mm -hmm. I mean, you've had some, you've had some resistance to James Howell um, at times because of where he is on the map, correct? Uh, so, so, yeah, and I was gonna, just going to pull that up because we it was one of the things where there's a town called Mount Sterling, Illinois, which is is really close, which is only like probably from Hannibal. It's 45 minutes. But this case you're talking about is Sterling. There's no mount in front of it. Um, and so if you do – I just had to do this real quick. And so if you do a Hannibal – Hannibal, Missouri to Sterling is a three and a half hour drive. So that's what you're looking at according to Google Maps. So you're three and a half hours away from Hannibal. But you're only about, 
about two hours from Waterloo. I will throw that out there. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, in 1969, um, and this is crazy too because it happens in May. Hmm. So it's almost a, 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 the two-year anniversary of the missing boys in in um, in Hannibal, and he disappears from Sterling, Illinois, on May 28th, 1969. Um, and he's only nine years old. That is probably the most far from, I mean, you had, you had Billy roughly around, um, a little, a little older than that in Joey and Craig. So they kind of fit right within the, the, the lower two boys, right? So Billy and Joel, uh, Joey. So, you know, he's nine years old. He's abducted. He was, uh, 79 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes. Nickname is Jimmy. Hal was last seen playing with his sister outside of their family's home on West 13th Street in Sterling, Illinois, on May 28, 1969. They were going to build a cage for Hal's birds, and his sister went inside for tools. When she returned, the boards Hal was going to use to make the birdcage were scattered along the street, and Hal had vanished. A neighbor reported his disappearance to police at approximately 10.35 p.m. that same day. After his parents spent the night searching for him, there were several reported sightings of Howe after his disappearance, but he was never found. Searchers looked in gravel pits and water areas, particularly Elkhorn Creek and Rock River. Howe's case remains unsolved, and the circumstances surrounding it, his disappearance are unclear. Now, if you have any information regarding James Howe, it's just James Richard Howe's disappearance. You can call the Whiteside County Sheriff's Office at 815-772-4044, where this still remains part of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children on the Doe Network. So reach out to the Sheriff's Office at 815-772-4044. This is a crazy mix, once again, of this young boy, beautiful boy, nine years old, playing with his sister out there. Um, we had some reports, did some further digging on it, um, and uh, somebody actually did some did some digging on their own for this one case, and I'll, I'll just uh, just go into it a little bit. But it was, uh, they remember it as a very balmy spring day. He's one of the eyewitnesses. It was May 1969. Um, they're, they were playing outside in the downstate of Sterling. Um, he was, he was listed, like I said, in all these different children's, um, missing persons thing. But one of the people, um, that was missing in the case is they stumbled upon a pigeon fluttering lamely. He noticed one of its wings was broken. So it almost is like. Jimmy had birds in his hand when he was doing this. Jimmy ran to the neighbor's house and begged um, begged for wood to build a cage. The neighbor obliged, and the excited children ran home. So he basically was around the neighborhood. He had some birds, probably pigeons, uh, from all accounts. And he was basically going from neighbor to neighbor, seeing if he had any spare wood. Hmm. So he picks up all this spare wood in the house, and then he needed a hammer. And so Deborah, his sister, went inside. And when she came back, the pigeon was lame, and the boards were all over the street, and he was gone. And he was never found again. There was never a body found once again. You have five kids 
roughly within three years of each other that all go missing that are never found. Like that is for me a pattern. And if you look at the way Sterling, Hannibal, and Monroe City fit, it's almost like what, a right angle? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, it's like a, it's like a check mark, <laughs> kind of, I guess, if you want to put it in some term. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know that maybe the Sterling case, the nine-year-old is, it just is really strange that in every year from 67 to 69, a child roughly around the same age goes missing and they're never found. And these are the... And this is broad daylight. Yeah, and these are the only these are three cases that we know of, and uh, they're still. I mean, if you if you wanted to take a big box and start Sterling and even go down to like St. Louis, we don't know the extent of how many other missing kids there were in that time frame. Uh, but these are the ones that we we're able to find just from our research. And I know, Frankie, this has been something that's been at the top of your mind, especially in Monroe City and even Sterling for that matter, since we started, because you thought, wow, it was so weird that you've had these these boys all missing within like 67 68 69 so um and actually there was another case uh which was there was another death i believe and i'll have to double check this but it wasn't it, it was uh, a drowning actually upriver uh in keokuk iowa that i believe happened in 68 as well and it was there was three boys that that drowned but obviously we knew the cause of death of that one um but uh, yeah, it's very odd to have these cases happen in the time frame that they did. Now, is it, you know, again, we want to throw out what our last episode was about. Is it a Gacy case? Maybe, maybe not. But it's something that's kind of interesting that, you know, those those three boys all, or all these boys gone missing in just a matter of three. Or, Frankie, I will throw this out at you. Maybe maybe you're we're on to something, but it's not Gacy, but it's somebody else. It's somebody else. It's somebody that's still there that, that possibly could still be alive or that people know um, or suspect it. You know, that's the thing, too, is that a lot of people don't want to come forward because they don't have any evidence. Well, let me tell you something. If you have something on somebody and something somebody else felt that and somebody else felt that and somebody else felt that, let me tell you something. You got something there. Enough for, like, at least an investigation is that, well, where was that person at this this given time? The fact that it's so spread out, the fact that the person knew how to get rid of people, you know, it points to somebody that might have had that farm. Going back to Luther Wagner, John's father, somebody had a farm. Somebody knew how to dispose of a body. I mean, this was picked up in major Hollywood films like Statch, where they talk about being a pig farmer. I mean, at the end of the day, is it far-fetched? Sure. Is it, a pos- is it probable? It is probable that this is the same person that something was going on in 67 and 68 and 69, five kills. You know, a lot of people don't know that if, if you've ever read the Jack the Ripper report, it doesn't, a lot of times serial killers just stop. Their thirst is quenched. And they said that with Jack the Ripper, that he didn't have a reason to kill anymore. They did the same with Zodiac. Zodiac just stopped. Um, so B, uh, uh, was it was a BK? Right? Mm-hmm. That was a big serial killer. He stopped. Then somebody, after 25 years, beckoned him to come back into the scene, cowered him out. And he ends up killing somebody, and that kill would get him caught mm. because in 25 years, things had, um, things had changed. So, you know, if that person's out there, you know, it's creepy if they're listening or they know something or know somebody. Now is the time to email. Now is the time to get that on the paper. If you want to remain anonymous and anonymity, we can give you all that. 
But if you know anything about any of these cases, I'm going to drop it off to Chris now. We'll, we'll finalize this episode of the missing boys of Missouri and Illinois uh, within that span. We're going to go, we're going to flash now to 1977, the year I was born. Okay. Best year ever. Just not for cars. Um <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I, I think actually the sergeant, um, Regina Webb, is my age. I think she oh. was born in 78 or 77, too. So, um, yeah. Well, take it away, Chris. Yeah, so so we we went from we went from of course Hannibal to start things out. Then we go to Macon, or excuse me, Monroe City, Missouri. Then we go to Sterling, Illinois, in '69. Then we jump to '77, like you said. But we're going back to Monroe City for this one. So again, two cases, what? two cases happening in a town that's a population of 2500 people right now, two missing persons cases. Now again, if we wanted to stay we're straying a little bit away from the Lost Boys at this point in time because you are looking at a uh what is that, a 10-year gap between the boys yeah, going missing in this case. His name is Ricky Lee Enox. He was born in uh, June 11th, 1959 went missing on June 7th, 1977. Uh, there's some interesting things, there's, but there's not a whole lot. The only thing we really have, and you can look this up online, is from the Missouri Missing Persons Clearinghouse is a flyer, and I'll read the paragraph for, uh, for him. It says, Ricky Lee Enox was last seen at his father's house in Monroe City, Missouri, on the afternoon of June 30th, 1977. According to family members, Ricky left the house with an unknown individual in a vehicle with Illinois plates. He did not take any personal belongings with him and told his father he would be back in quotes in a bit or in a little bit. The family has not heard from him since. And that was on June 30th, or excuse me, uh, says June 30th. I'm sorry. June 30th, 1977 is when he went missing. So that is... Uh, Ricky Lee Enox. Uh, Frankie, anything sticks out at you there? A lot. Go to, Once again, it's... Well, for me, I, when I'm not going to... I've talked a lot. What sticks out to oh. you? Because I, I want to know if we're on the same page. Because yeah. I've, I've, I've had a lot of this podcast. Uh, the last two weeks, actually. So, so first of all, what sticks out to me is uh, the Illinois Plates being the first one of the big things that stick out to me it's a individual uh an unknown individual in a vehicle with illinois plates uh the date sticks out to me because it's june 7th 1977 so the reason why that sticks out to me is because if you do a little search let's go back to our famous uh, jwg John Wayne Gacy. I'm going to pull this, uh, pull a little bit of this out of from the Wikipedia page, just because that was the easiest source to get to. Uh, between December of 76 and March of 77, Gacy is known to have killed an unidentified man estimated to be around 25 years old. Um, they know this because they found some stuff in the house. Uh, but it says here that like after uh, 1977, things get a little bit questionable they're not exactly sure where gacy was uh in the summer of 77 uh so that makes it interesting because 
Was he in Chicago? Was he in Monroe City at that time? Now, I do want to point out, and this uh, Frankie and I were talking about this earlier. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Is that uh, if you go to the Cook County Sheriff's Office, and we talked about this last episode. Uh, you go to the Cook County Sheriff's Office, you can actually find a page that says, um, that talks about uh john wayne gacy victims and the you can actually fill out some information if you're a family member and uh find out with dna and we've talked about that last episode but the six unidentified victims there is two of them that stick out and uh the first one oh by the way uh, let me tell you ricky was 5'7 135 130 pounds blonde hair blue eyes white male uh Two people stick out here. There is one that is age 17 to 21. That's an unidentified person. Uh, height 5'7 to 5'11. The second person that sticks out is age 14 to 18. Height 5'6 to 5'11. And uh, blood evidence. There is blood evidence with victim number 28. Um, is interesting that the accuracy of 28 is pretty high of victim 28 that is the accuracy data accuracy of victim 10 is a little bit lower uh, but those fit our criteria and really and again frankie going to where i want to get your input at is if you look at this kid's picture and we'll post it on our our facebook page uh this guy again fits that fits that type fits that type for yes DC. Yeah, if you guys had a chance to watch, I mean, a lot of people have downtime now, and if you have Hulu, watch Legacy, um, and you'll see Jason Moran doing a great job with Cook County up there and solving these cases of John Wayne Gacy. Um, when you get to that part where you start looking at all the faces of all the people, of all the boys that he murdered, this kid fits right in line, the long hair, um, just the, the entire look of what Jace, what what Gacy had that type that we talk about. And he kind of fits right in there. Now, the other thing that, that Jason Moran, um, Detective Sergeant uh, Jason Moran goes over in that is the fact that Gacy did tell him that he threw people over the bridge. Now, in 1977, that basement was filling up. It was filling up. And he didn't have a lot of room, so he started pitching people over bridges. And it's possible that this case in Monroe City that he might have been pitched over a river or maybe because then you got to think too. um, It's kind of crazy, Chris, if somebody went all the way down to Monroe City to drive all the way back home to bury them in the basement. Right. Could he have done something that crazy? Sure. I mean, it's something you got to put out there. But I, I think Jason Moran, if the family hasn't done it already, which they probably have. Or maybe they haven't. You just don't know. Like, maybe they never thought to think that it was John Wayne Gacy, right? But what if, I mean, he just goes he goes abducted at plain sight, too. This is the So, Frankie, let me pull this out. So, again, going to the Wikipedia page. Uh, I want to talk about this time frame. Again, Ricky went missing in uh, June of 1977. In March of 1977, Gacy was hired as a construction supervisor for PE Systems, a firm which specialized in nationwide remodeling of drug stores. As a result of his contract, Gacy regularly traveled to other states to supervise construction projects, and he later stated that through both businesses, he often simultaneously worked on up to four construction projects, with almost 80 buildings being successfully remodeled in 1977 alone. So here you go. Find the building that was in Monroe City. Yeah. So that puts him on the road 
1977. Now, I think our next yeah. step right here is to find out, is there any drugstores in the Monroe City area that was getting remodeled in 1970, or Hannibal, or Macon, or any town in that area? Is there any drugstores? If anybody's out there, and you were listening to this, and you're from the area, and you lived there during that time frame, or you knew about something in that time frame, let us know, because we want this could be a huge connection right here. Because, and I don't, I'm sure other people have thought about this, but to have him knowing, we know that Gacy was on the road. So was he again? Yeah. Was he on Highway 36 in June of 1967? Who knows? Or 1977? Sorry, but that's really interesting. Yeah, I. <laughs> uh, it's creepy, man. But if we can get anybody closure, I mean that that's the point of you know our lost boys. You know, sometimes we we have to we have to take the deep dive in our own behalf to really look and, and, and seek, um, closure. But at the same time, we have to talk to the people that were there. We need the eyewitness testimony. We need, we need the one part of circumstantial evidence. That's not circumstantial. And that's an eyewitness. Like I, I just believe like this case and in our case that people know things, people remember things and they might not think that they're, significant but they are it's always the smallest detail that opens up the case to an astronomical level where you're finding it and maybe two guys that started a podcast about the lost boys of hannibal might have solved the fact that maybe there was a, another victim of monroe city it was might have been john wayne gacy's i mean that could be crazy it could be incredible and and that just goes to show you that the more we talk about it the more we put stuff out stuff out there that we're going to get to the bottom of some of these things. And so we don't want to leave the boys out that are not part of the lost boys of Hannibal. And if they're in our, they're in our view we're they're open cases for me and Chris as well. And this is something that will extend our show beyond the lost boys of Hannibal and to help these families draw closure. And if we can do that, then that's, we've done our job, you know? Yeah. I'm just sitting here thinking, and one of the things that we need to work on, um, and, and one of the things I'm actually currently working on, is trying to get some family members of Ricky to see if they have submitted DNA to Cook County. Because there's nothing, you know, we talked about John Wagner before. There's stories on, online about John. Um, you know, yep. there's plenty to look at. When you go into Ricky, there's not much. There's no stories. Actually, it was very ironic because we're not the first people to put the two and two together. Uh, there was a forum discussion from 2010 that I came across, and it talks about could this guy possibly be a John Wayne Gacy uh, victim? And it's interesting because they actually go as far in this forum to go ahead and they contact Cook County and they start talking to Cook County and or well they try to talk to cook county i should say and nobody gets back with the people in the forum so they they saw the connection 2010 but again i'm not even sure that our our moran guy was working the case in 2010 we're pretty sure he wasn't no so i don't think there was anybody doing searching or trying to recover in 2010 the names of those of of those unidentified victims so 
it's very interesting. But that is something we're working on, trying to find out if we can connect to a family member and then try to go down that road to see if they've actually put it up. It would be, you brought it up, it would be very, very, it'd be great to get some closure, but it'd be very weird to be looking at the Lost Boys of Hannibal and end up having another case that gets solved because <laughs> because of us looking at the Lost Boys of Hannibal. No, it's 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 true. It's true, but at the same time, like, I mean, we can maybe fill out the form. Jason Moran has those forms. Uh, fill them out, um, you know, in our downtime too. And it, it is interesting that in 2010, I mean, you know, things weren't looked at the way they are today. True crime wasn't a thing back then. I, I, if, if people don't really believe that true crime podcasts have anything to do with the recent insurgence of serial killers and trying to figure them out, I don't think you solved the Golden State Killer. I don't. I don't think you do. I don't think you do without without true crime podcast bringing it back up and, and and researching it. You know, because if you go back to the Golden State Killer, okay, over four decades went by before they found him, and they found him last year, hmm. and it was a cop. The first person on the scene who was a cop said, "It's got to be a cop," because <laughs> how is he doing this? Yeah. He's not Houdini, and he was right. He was, it was a cop. And so, you know, those are the types of things that like, you know, when you bring, when we're bringing this stuff up, it's something that we want you guys to think about. It's something that we, we want to bring up, you know, yes, our, our priority has always, and will always be, um, Billy, Joe, Billy, Joey, and Craig, always the Dows and the Hogs are our priority on this show, but we do have secondary and tertiary people that we would love to get closure to as well so in our downtime with everything that's going on in the world these are the cases we're exploring right outside these boys and maybe somehow they're all connected maybe maybe in these small towns all i know is chris from all of us here at the lost boys of hannibal podcast i'm frankie cambletta i'm chris ketters we'll be seeing you guys take care and be safe well, some other time.